Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. I'm delighted that joining me today is Bex Hall, who's Head of Consulting at CEDEX. Welcome to the podcast, Bex. Thank you, Ian. It's great to be here. So we're going to be talking about food costs and how they can be most equitably be spread across value chains. Bex, do you think that consumers have become addicted to cheap food? Yes, I think there's a lot of evidence and research that suggests that that might be the case, particularly in more developed economies such as the UK, Europe and the United States. As everyone is probably aware, over the last couple of years, we've seen a huge increase in the cost of food, whether that be alongside cost of living and inflation or whether it's food in particular, which has really shaken a lot of people and therefore obviously indicates that the historic reliance and commonality with cheaper food is changing. Whether it's an addiction, I guess, is questionable in terms of, is it something that people really absolutely cannot part with and are unwilling to turn to slightly more perhaps expensive or more higher value sources of food, I think is something we're going to really explore in the next few months, years and today in our discussion. Has food become undervalued, do you think then? I think that is probably largely the case, particularly when you look at, again, some of these more developed economies, particularly I think when we talk about the United States, where a lot of food is heavily, heavily subsidised for consumers. The idea that food is incredibly accessible and it's an easy thing to be able to waste as well, I think demonstrates that it perhaps is undervalued. There's some particularly shocking statistics that come out from um, various different research bodies that I think perhaps highlight this. Because if something typically is, is highly valued by people, it therefore doesn't tend to be wasted. It doesn't tend to be overpurchased or thrown away without thought at the end. But when you look at the statistics on food waste, particularly let's look at this one here so for the united states there's estimates that it's something like 119 billion pounds of food is wasted every single year which equates to about 130 billion meals that's a shocking amount of waste and if we turn to somewhere like the united kingdom those numbers are are also quite disappointing to be honest it's around 9.5 million tons of food each year so there is a huge amount of waste there which i think probably indicates that food is quite undervalued by consumers. I think what's really interesting, though, is when you balance that off against how many people are actually living in food poverty or food insecurity, it demonstrates that the system isn't right. The system that has perhaps led to all that food being so cheap doesn't necessarily actually create access and equality to everybody. So when we look at the US figures, for instance, you've got that 130 billion meals of waste each year, but there's around 34 million people who are described as food insecure, which is about 11% of the population at this point in time. And similarly, when you look at the United Kingdom, that 9.5 million tonnes per year that's wasted, there's around 8.4 million people currently in food poverty. There really is a significant imbalance there. And just to clarify, the the pounds you mentioned for the US, it gets pounds of weight, not pounds sterling of value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What are the consequences for different supply chain actors from this challenging valuation of food? There's quite a few different ones. Something that many people don't necessarily realise is also how many actors are in the supply chain getting food to us every day. 
historically people might think okay well let's take some bread or for instance it's it's the wheat's grown it's turned into bread and I get it from the shop when you actually expand that and work in the supply chain industry as as we at SEDEX do with many of the global retailers and food producers there are dozens more stages to that in terms of the different ingredients that come in the different actors within that chain from logistics delivery bakers farmers even the people who perhaps clean the factory where the bread is baked there's there's a huge amount of people that are involved in that so when you do look at the cheaper cost of food you have to think well if we're factoring in all of those different actors within that supply chain what remuneration are they getting as those costs go down and down but what we see is the cost of the inputs into that process so let's say fuel to power the tractors that are harvesting the wheat those prices are going up and it really results in this squeeze if you like somewhere in the middle that can put workers in that supply chain at risk. For what extent do you think that consumers and the food sector more generally needs to think about changing the way they value food? I think a slightly more holistic approach in terms of the food sector will perhaps leave customers out just for now. When we look at the sector in itself and some of those actors that we've talked about there, your food distributors, your farmers, your production and manufacturing facilities, I think it's about really understanding that there is a difference between the cost in terms of what are you charging people for this, what's your revenue, what's your income, and your outgoings, and also the actual value that's in that situation. That true cost of driving down the price of something, how does that affect your workers? What impact does that potentially have on the environment as well? If you're starting to look at reducing some of the inputs into that process, what is the actual impact of that there? So in terms of trying to actually value that food, I think it's key to really consider, again, those actors and that wide range of inputs and outputs that you've got going on there. And a huge part of that, I think, is also around education, which is where I think the consumers come in. You might look at, your again, your bread on your shelf, whatever it might be, and think, oh, that's nice. But how often do we actually think about where did that come from? That wheat could have been planted 18 months ago, if not longer. It's really a phenomenal thing. But with the way that many of us live these days, things have been so commoditized that we're quite detached from that actual process there, particularly when food is, is shipped or imported and exported internationally. So the education of consumers in terms of what actually goes in to the food that you are eating and what you're seeing on your shelves or in your shops each day, I think is very helpful to really support with that. And then again, raising some awareness around, okay, yes, maybe this does cost a bit more, but why? Without naming specific brands, there's some really good examples of that within many, many countries in the world where you perhaps might pay a bit of a premium for a product, but that's because you do it with the understanding that what you're paying for that is contributing towards the cost of better working conditions, better animal welfare, better environmental sustainability and stewardship. I think it is quite interesting to consider it from that way. Although I suppose we also do need to consider the counterbalance, which I think you're probably going to come to, Ian, is around that cost for many people is a luxury, that additional cost and actually the accessibility to food that is at the lower end of the price spectrum is still really essential for millions of people. A lot of brands you alluded to there are now trying to educate consumers around where things come from. It does feel that consumers are responding a bit. To what extent do you think consumers are really going to grapple with this? Or generally do you think consumers basically don't really care and they just want to know that the product on the shelf is cheap and tasty essentially? Without wanting to fall into a stereotype, I think unfortunately, especially as the cost of living is going up 
almost everywhere at this point in time and for many, many people, price speaks often far more loudly than other qualities and other sort of criteria, I think. That said, I think something that, you know, I'm not an expert in sort of consumer research, but we have looked into this a bit. It's very, very interesting to see where price perhaps isn't the deciding point. And it's actually who that customer is, perhaps generationally in terms of age or in terms of where they live. You know, again, a huge amount of research that shows that perhaps younger consumers like sort of late millennials, Gen Z, etc., who are now coming into the workforce, having an income are making very conscious choices to purchase more sustainable goods or those things that maybe do have a slightly higher price tag, but they demonstrate the values that they might have. And I think that's that's really interesting and something that businesses can certainly use to their advantage in terms of reaching those sustainability goals. If you're make, trying to make a choice between, can I feed my entire family on this slightly cheaper food product this week, or can I buy something that perhaps has those greater credentials but is a lot more expensive and therefore we go without certain things I'm not sure many people would take that latter choice I suppose something to consider there again which is why I don't want to sound like a stereotype is that often sustainable food or food with sustainable credentials is pitted against cheap food or lower value food because there's an assumption that they're mutually exclusive if you're being sustainable it can't be affordable or if it's affordable it can't be sustainable and again I think we're definitely seeing with shifts in business models particularly what we're seeing around turn to more localized food local shopping and local distribution that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive anymore. Given that every challenge presents an opportunity, if the era of unrealistically cheap food is over, what are the opportunities that this might present? If we take it from the perspective, right, it's over, the rising costs of this, the costs within the supply chain, the value chain, whatever it may be, are inevitable and we really have to do something about it. It's often the place where innovation is born and it comes from that we, you know, we're faced with a problem that we don't necessarily like or that we haven't seen before. Um, and we need to work our way out of that using different and more innovative means. So there's a huge amount um, going on at the moment, for instance, in terms of regenerative agriculture um, and a variety of other kind of farming techniques that whilst the perhaps initial capex on that for businesses is quite high in the long run, it's shown that actually the innovation, the technology, the research there is saving money and it is helping to be more sustainable, both in terms of the production of goods, but also in terms of the people in the system, the environment involved. So I think that's a big opportunity there to really innovate. I think another alternative or another opportunity when you consider the actors in the supply chain, which we talked about earlier, is that this is potentially a really good opportunity for organisations to stop and evaluate where that money is and where that cost is going. Is this an opportunity actually that we say, you know what, we've actually got these millions of people in food insecurity because they're not earning that much. Why is that? And particularly when it's actually that a lot of those people might be involved in the very food supply chains we're talking about. It's a real opportunity to understand, well, what are you paying the your workers? What are you paying your contractors? What are you paying your farmers? And is this an opportunity that where the, the, the costs are rising, that they can perhaps be more equitably distributed um, amongst the actors in that supply chain as well? Often when we're talking about food value chains, it's the growing communities, the farmers that bear the brunt of the impacts of change, bear the costs a lot of the time. What needs to be in place, do you think, to ensure that growers can benefit if we're moving towards a higher price structure? 
Similarly to what you just mentioned, I think it's it's an opportunity for different actors and groups within the value chain to take stock of what is currently going on and what currently isn't working. There's a lot of like politics, I suppose, and policies that need to go into things like this. I'm sure people are familiar with things like the Common Agricultural Policy in the EU and then a variety of subsidies that exist within North America. I'm not here to make a political statement or say whether they're wrong, they're right, the pros and the cons. But I think that that there is something that perhaps unions or industry bodies and like slightly more collective groups have got a real opportunity there to step in um, and make the most of the situation to ensure that the growers do come out of this winning and don't find themselves on the negative end of, of what we're seeing in terms of pricing. And I suppose from a business perspective, the big push here, which we're also seeing arguably in the changes of legislation on supply chain due diligence, on impact assessment, on ESG and non-financial reporting, is for businesses to use this as an opportunity to do impact assessments and materiality assessments, look at your supply chain, look at the traceability and transparency of your products, and put things in place there to ensure, as you say, that those growers, regardless of what tier of the supply chain they're at, are actually benefiting and they're being paid correctly, they're receiving the right treatment, remuneration, compensation, and so forth. We talked about this a little bit earlier, and you produced some extraordinary statistics around the amount of food waste in the, in the US and the UK. To what extent is the solution to the food cost and food supply chain generally just simply getting in on top of that waste, cutting food waste across supply chains? It's so interesting and it's so complicated. And again, I've spent a bit of time trying to look into where that food waste comes from. There's a few things to consider there. One thing I think is it's society, it's culture, it's cultural behaviour that in certain countries you go to the restaurant, you order the biggest meal you can, and if you can't finish it, it's fine, it goes in the bin. Not the case for everybody, but it's kind of cultural. So there's the individual consumer or household waste there is something to consider. The other area that a huge amount of food waste comes from is the supply chain, um, whether it's in production or whether it's in the transportation and logistics of actually moving that food around. In terms of how much cutting that down is a solution, I think there's a huge amount of potential there, actually. We'll perhaps leave the consumers and the education part aside because we've talked about that a little bit already and, and is a bit out of my wheelhouse. But when we talk about the supply chain perspective, something that probably is quite significant is organisations really looking again at what that supply chain looks like, the transparency and the traceability of it, and understanding whether there are things that can be done to improve the movement of food throughout the supply chain, which would therefore, you know, kind of logically, with a few things in place, help extend things like the shelf life of food. So that might be, as mentioned earlier, having things like more decentralised or localised distribution centres, or having slightly more localized supply chains so rather than having something flown or shipped from thousands of miles away which obviously therefore has an impact on how long that product is viable you actually can try and focus on having that in a more localized way which then extends that time frame and makes it slightly less likely that it will become wasteful and then related to that I think there's also a lot of research that shows there's new technologies and new techniques coming in around how to actually store and protect food as well that are more sustainable than they had been previously. So when we look at things like different refrigeration mechanisms, which is obviously essential for 
a lot of different food and beverage types. When we look at things like having those with more sustainable energy sources or slightly upgraded technology, that doesn't become a prohibitive cost anymore so that goods can be refrigerated for longer and again, be less likely to become wasteful. I think there's a huge amount of opportunity there um, in terms of actually cutting that food waste down. And certainly from the perspective of trying to tackle food inequality, I think that's a huge opportunity. Whether it would have a significant impact on the cost of food, though, I'm not sure. I have to come back to you on that one. Looking forward, do you think that long-term sustainable food supply systems really just require more realistic pricing? And that's just kind of the fundamental fact. I think they have to. What that realistic pricing is, I think, is very contextual to the product, the country, the location, the economic system in which it exists. But yeah, I think it has to what's being referred to as sort of the era of cheap food that we've seen recently and you know whether that's over or not whilst people seem to look at the era of cheap food as a really positive thing and something that we should absolutely struggle to continue to have we have also seen the negative impacts of that of this inequality in terms of huge amounts of waste in terms of huge amounts of people that whilst the food is cheap it's still not accessible to people necessarily and then also a lot of environmental damage um, potentially throughout this system and finally also on as we've said the actors in the supply chain unfortunately you know modern slavery which is obviously an extreme situation but also similarly linked red flag behaviors like late payment of wages not being paid minimum wage piecemeal wage paying which is very common in the agricultural industry they're all huge problems that have existed throughout this era they're arguably things that we don't want to return to they're things we want to build from and learn from and improve in the future and yeah I think in order to do those different things we do require slightly more realistic prices that do take those factors into consideration to make sure that we don't struggle to pay the workers in the supply chain and and to compensate for the actual real life cost of managing food a bit more sustainably. It's certainly an area of significant change, fast moving at the moment as well. Um, interesting to see how things do pan out. But thanks very much indeed for all those predictions. Bex Hall from SEDEX. Thanks, Ian. <laughs>